When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've been answering social security questions for over 20 years now. And during this interview with Mary Beth Franklin, I learned multiple new twists and turns about social security that might end up applying to you. Our team here is anywhere from age 25 to almost 50. And every single one of us learned something new about how to maximize social security and plan for our future. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Mary Beth Franken, thank you so much for being here. Let's start with the confusion around social security. There's just so many ways to look at doing social security the right way, the wrong way. Do I wait? Do I start? When do I start? Maybe let's just start with a history lesson of social security and what it was originally set up to do. Well, social security has been around for more than 80 years. And frankly, this was one of the big projects that came out of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal. We were coming out of the Great Depression. There was enormous unemployment. And basically, they were looking for ways to get old people out of the workforce to free up jobs for young people. But there really was no universal retirement system. And by creating Social Security, which was always looked at as an earned benefit in the sense that a portion of your payroll was being taxed to fund your future Social Security benefit, and that portion would be matched on the employer as well. Now, in the very beginning of this system, which was uh, signed into law in 1935, great deal for those people who were the um, early beneficiaries. They may have only paid into the system for a couple years and was getting benefits for the rest of their lives. It is a pay-as-you-go system. So wait, I did not know this. So right? I always thought that because the depression was such a terrible time economically, it was the wake-up call that we needed some sort of social safety net. And I'm sure that's part of it. But it's very interesting to hear that economically, we were in a position where you just, you the, the, the part of this was then to say, hey, if you're a senior at a company, we want you to give you an incentive to leave so we can get young people and get unemployment down. That was a big part of it. Right. There That's was amazing. The, I didn't let, know that. Let's get younger people into the workforce. Many of those people who did not have jobs during the depression and older workers were hanging in there because they had no other source of income. Their, you know, pensions were not widespread. So this created I believe uh, uh, FDR said that people could retire with dignity. 
It was never mm -hmm. designed to be the sole source of your retirement income, but it would give a base. So that base early on, first of all, there, there's a lot of factors that got us out of a, a depressionary period of time that went into the war. However, yeah, World, World War II helped a lot. <laughs> it helped a lot. But those early folks got Social Security, even if they may have only been working, maybe, I guess, what was that based on? That's fascinating to me. So, Well, if for someone who wanted to explore it, I wish I could remember all the details. But if you go to the Social Security website, ssa.gov, there's a tab called History. And you can read about the history of the Social Security program. And there, I cannot remember the name of the woman, but she was the first retirement beneficiary. I used to know her name. Uh, but she basically put in $22 and change in her lifetime contributions and received over $100,000 in benefits over her lifetime. She lived to a, a ripe old age. I believe she was in her 90s. The thing to keep in mind is for a program that is so important to American retirees, most of us do not understand anything about how this program works. All we know is somebody named Mr. FICA is taking money out of our paycheck every <laughs> week. And I guess that's going to be my social security benefit. A lot of people think that, okay, you're taking this money out of my paycheck and someplace in the ether is a savings account with my name, with my future social security benefit. No, your current uh, payroll taxes, your FICA taxes are not funding your benefit tomorrow. They're funding your parents' and your grandparents' benefits today. It's reliant on current workers funding the benefits of current retirees. And that's why this idea of it's paying as you go system. And I want to allay people's fears when they hear the system's going broke. The system's not going broke. In a worst case scenario, if Congress did nothing between now and approximately 2034, when the excess money that we call the trust funds run out, there would still be enough money from ongoing FICA taxes to pay about 80% of promised benefits. Now, nobody is going to be satisfied with 80% of promised benefits, but Congress isn't crazy. They're going to fix this because old people vote and they they're going to make sure that this gets fixed. And and so I want to circle back to that just a minute, but the reality here is that it started in the in the mid 30s and then there's been changes along the way and and life expectancy, just demographic changes, the wealth of our our country, the the, the thought of life expectancy has obviously been a big piece of the equation. And then the range of when you can take it, the 62 to maybe to then now full retirement age was 66 and now it's 67 and, and that continues to change. So there are all these variables. And I guess my question would be, what is so confusing about Social Security to begin with? Well, there are more than 2,700 rules that govern your Social Security benefits. Part of the problem is it started as a simple retirement program in the 1930s. And in the beginning, it was just for retired workers. There was no benefit for spouses. There were no benefits for dependents. There was no disability benefits. These things have been added on along the way. And much like the tax code, when you add a level of complexity, um, often existing beneficiaries 
are grandfathered under the old rules. And then the new rules will apply to people going forward. So we have all of these regulations right on top of the other. And that's what makes it so confusing. You made a reference to changes a few years ago. Back in 2015, Congress was dealing with overarching um, uh, federal debt ceiling legislation, had nothing to do with Social Security. But while they were there, they tacked on two amendments that changed the way some people were able to claim their benefits. And in one instance, they said, this one claiming strategy is going away in six months. You have to be at least 62 years old by April 2016th or you're out of luck. The other one, they said, well, we're going to phase this in. And as long as you're born before 1954, you can do X, Y, Z. And then new rules apply to new people. You can see where this is really confusing. And I took great exception to this legislation because of the short time frame for implementing it. Right. It's only a, like a six month window. I remember that period of time. Right. Getting people and, kind of under the wire for right. the, the for the new rules. And and the fact that so many people had planned to implement these strategies and suddenly found out they couldn't. An example, I think, of, of good public policy is to go back to 1983, the last time we had comprehensive Social Security reform, where they did things like gradually raise the full retirement age, which was 65 at the time and will ultimately become 67 over a 40 year period. That 67 applies to people born in 1960 or later and will not be fully implemented till 2027. You give the American public 40 years to get used to something, they can adapt. They're not so good when you give them six months. It's such a good point. If you had to, which again, 2,700 rules, multiple legislative changes over the last, call it 70 to 80 years, 90 years. How would you describe Social Security and the claiming strategy of Social Security? So I'm talking to a 60-year-old couple and you say, look, in the next few years, here's what you should do. But if you had to describe it in like a sentence or two or maybe three. I would say for most Americans, it is the only source of guaranteed income for the rest of your life, no matter how long you live. Taking this in the context of pensions are history for most people, unless they're working for a federal or state government at this point. Um, yes, there are current retirees that still have traditional pensions, but as we move forward and baby boomers and Gen Xers start to retire, the the um, access to pensions significantly reduced. Now, people have this image of the golden age of pensions. Well, once upon a time, 100% of people have pensions. No, that never happened. Mm -hmm. You know, at most, you're talking 30, 40%. Right. I think it was like, yeah, the max was like 41% of companies. Right. Yeah, And that was in the heydays of the 1980s. Um, and people say, well, what happened to pensions? Mm -hmm. Well, in the old days, when you had companies like GE and IBM and these legacy companies uh, and car manufacturers, the big three car manufacturers, this was an employee benefit and people stayed their whole life at one company. They put their time in. The company put money for their future retirement and that was their pension. The old, by the way, the olden days. That's what my kids say. They're like, dad, in the olden days. When in you the were a kid. Yes, the, the olden, olden, olden days. days. Right. 
But a lot of things happened. And the biggest thing, frankly, was global competition. When you suddenly had IBM, a US-based company, competing with Japanese and Korean companies making similar products that didn't have these legacy costs. Same thing happened to car companies. Uh, they had international competition that weren't dealing with these costs. At one point, they used to joke that uh, GM was basically an HMO, a health maintenance organization right. of four wheels. Those employee benefits, including pensions, got so expensive that the companies to maintain uh, international competitiveness had to scale back. And that's when we see switching to the 401k, which meant the employees had to contribute and take the risk. And suddenly retirement wasn't secure anymore. So again, I think your fundamental baseline description of social security, which is, I'm, I'm going to pull this word out that you said, is that it is the only guaranteed thing that you can that you will have in the future, as long as you have some sort of social security benefit, right? So that's right. the one piece. The next sentence I would ask you to distill this down in is this, is are you in the camp of take social as soon as you get it or you can get it, or should you wait as long as you can, can in order to take it? It's a very personal decision based on your health and your wealth. I tell people the idea of delaying benefits up until age 70, for people who are healthy enough to wait, because it's a bit like the lottery, you must be present to win. If you're not going to make it into your early 80s, it may not be a good choice. And wealthy enough, okay, you're choosing to delay to get this huge payoff, an extra 8% per year between your full retirement age and 70. What do you do for money in between? If you're one of those baby boomers who say, well, I'm going to work forever, problem solved. You have income from a job. But there are many people who could still retire at 62 or 66 and still choose to delay Social Security to 70 to get that big payoff if they have other sources of income. And I'll make two comments on that. The idea of delaying up until age 70, I think, is critically important for married couples for one spouse to delay if possible. Explain that. When you have a married couple, and let's say the husband and wife each have their own earnings record and consequently they each have their own retirement benefit. When one of them dies, the larger benefit is going to continue as the survivor benefit. So I don't think both spouses need to delay. And I, and I will make the distinction, my audience tends to be either in retirement or closer to retirement than okay. your audience. And, and we can debate where these strategies are, are appropriate for your younger audience or not. But if I'm dealing with someone close to retirement, it makes sense for the spouse with the bigger Social Security benefit, I'm going to say the husband, not always the case, uh, and often in couples of this age near or in retirement, the husband statistically tends to be a couple years older. Mm -hmm. It so makes true. sense for him to delay till 70 maximizing not only his retirement benefit while they're both alive, but he's also statistically likely to die first. So instead of getting $2,400 a month at 66, he might get 3000 and change. He dies. That's what his wife steps up to as the survivor benefit. Regardless of whether she, of her benefit, she could. If, if it's bigger than her benefit. Right. So, and. 
having said, all right, let's have the husband wait till 70. I then say the spouse with the smaller benefit, the wife in this case, may want to go ahead and claim her social security early at 62 if she's not working because there's earnings restrictions if you claim before full retirement age. My um, rationale for that is bring some cash flow into the household now to help take the sting away from the husband waiting till 70. And here's something most people don't understand. Even though the wife is claiming her own retirement benefit early at 62, and her own retirement benefit is now going to be reduced by 25% for the rest of her life, it has no impact on her survivor benefit. If she is at least full retirement age when she is widowed, she can then switch to full survivor benefits, 100% of what her husband was receiving when he died. No for downside example, for that. and this is where things can get a little bit complicated, but if you're if 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 someone listening is in their 60s and they're making these decisions and the husband let's say same scenario, he's going to wait, his social let's say is going to be 3200 a month. Wife is saying or wife's social might only be 1800 a month, let's just say, and she chooses to take that. The second spouse can get at least half of what the higher earning or higher social security spouse would get, correct? Right. That a spousal benefit is worth up to 50% of the worker's full retirement age benefit. Even if he waits till 70, her spousal benefit would still be worth half of his age 66 benefit. Even though he's not taking it. Well, under the new rules, he'd actually have to take a benefit to trigger a benefit for her. So in the example I gave you, she has her own retirement benefit. He has his own retirement benefit. She's going to claim her reduced benefit early, bring money into the household, he's going to wait till 70. Now, once he claims at 70, um, it's possible she may step up to a larger benefit. You'd have to see how those numbers work out. So what are the top variables? You've got your your age, your Marital health. status, your health. And if you need the money, what's your financial situation? There are people who maybe had planned to wait till 70 and during the pandemic, they either lost their job or because of their health, they were afraid to go back to work, so they retired early. Well, suddenly they may need to claim Social Security right now. And the bottom line is, if you need the money, go ahead and take it. If you work. need it, go ahead and take it. Yeah, absolutely. Need it, go ahead and take it. And the you may be able to undo that decision later. There are some reset buttons in the Social Security system. Well, I remember there used to, again, this is why it's so confusing. There used to be a, a way where you could take it. And then if you if you wanted to give it all back, you could then refile for a higher amount. Yes. Um, and that we, rule. What do even call that? What was uh, that? That's when you withdraw your application for benefits. You can still do it, but it can only be within the first 12 months of receiving benefits. And you can only do it once in your lifetime. Oh, that's right. Okay. So and give us that example. That's interesting. So tell me why you would want to do that. Okay, so let's say um, I'm 62 years old. I had planned to work till 66 or 70. And during the pandemic, I lost my job. I need money. I went ahead and claimed my benefit at 62. So instead of getting 100% of my benefit, I got 75% of my benefit. And now nine months later, I got another job. Well, gee, I really wish I had held off on that because I'm within the first 12 months of claiming I can contact Social Security and say, hey, I want to withdraw my application. But the catch is I have to pay back 
anything they paid me. Give it back. Give it back. Um, I don't own any interest or anything. I just give them back the money they paid me so that at a later date when I'm older and my benefit would be worth more because I'm older, I start as if for the first time at that higher rate. So Mm. that's one do-over option. And then there's another that... If you if your your head hasn't exploded yet, I'll give you the other. <laughs> yes, I love that. That's actually pretty understandable. That makes a lot of sense, and I think that that's important for people to know. I love that. Okay, the second one, the second reset. Do over two. Do over reset. Do over two is called suspending your benefits. Now, to suspend your benefits, you have to be at least full retirement age or older. And uh, at that point, the checks you have been receiving, I say checks, they're actually direct deposits. The money (laughs) you have been receiving from Social Security stops. But it's now starts earning those delayed retirement credits. And so it starts growing Mm. and up until age 70. So let me give an example of how that would work and who I would suggest using this. And the good thing about suspending your benefits is you don't have to pay anything back. Your check stop, and now they start earning delayed retirement credits. So let's say we have a husband and wife. The husband collected benefits at 62 because he thought, hey, why not? A lot of people think it's my money. I can get it at 62. I'm grabbing it now. So he takes his benefits at 62. They're reduced by 25% because he's claiming four years early. But it never occurred to him that if he claimed his retirement benefits early and they're reduced and he dies first, now his widow is going to get a smaller benefit mm-hmm. because a survivor benefit in general, and of course there's exceptions, is worth up to 100% of what the deceased worker was collecting at time of death. So he may want to wait until his full retirement age is 66 and say, you know, let me suspend my benefits. So those benefits are going to stop. Now he needs money from someplace else, but his benefit stops. Now they grow by 8% a year. So the math works like this. Instead of taking 100% at his full retirement age of 66, he took 75% at 62. He takes that for four years. He suspends his benefits. They stop. Now they grow by 8% a year. That's 32% over four years. If I multiply the 75% he took originally times 1.32, I come out with 99%. He has effectively restored his full retirement age benefit by age 70. And now if he dies, that's what his widow's going to get. You made it actually sound pretty simple. These are two do-over strategies. The one's real simple. Hey, I'm just going to pay the money back and it's going to continue to grow. And you don't have to be the full age to do that. You have to be within 12 months. Within 12 months. The second do-over is if you took it a little too early, you look up and you say, you know, I'd really like my benefit to grow for my spouse. Then when you hit full retirement age, you can suspend and it will continue to grow. Right. Do over option number two. Right. And the this one is advanced caveat, social security planning, by the this way. This is advanced social security. And the thing to keep in mind is let's say you've got a husband and wife, the scenario we just went through, his benefits stop. As long as she was collecting her own benefits, she's good. But if she was one of these stay at home wives, she took care of the kids, she wasn't in the workforce. Her only benefit is as a spouse. Mm, if so his hers benefit stop stops, hers would stop too. Okay. And the other exception, and these are always my favorite, that does not apply to divorce spouses. 
So if you suspend your benefits and you've got an ex-wife who's collecting on your record, it does not affect her benefits, but it would affect your current wife's benefits. So again, I'm just thinking of questions our listeners might have popping up in their heads as they're listening to you. Let's just say you are divorced. Your spouse is 65 and hasn't taken Social Security yet, not at full retirement age, and you're 62, but you'd like to turn on the clock and you haven't been remarried. Are you able to do that or do you have to wait till your ex-spouse was taking Social well, let me give you the basics on Social Security. And and I, again, this is my favorite part. And I say this having been married 43 years myself. Um, it doesn't I, almost, I almost thought you were going to say four times. Four times. No, no, <laughs> I've been no. married for four, four different times. So I know these rules like the back of my hand. I have been married 43 years to the same person, but I have two best friends that were each married nine and a half years, not realizing that to get benefits as an ex-spouse, you must be married at least 10 years. Ooh. You're one day shy of that 10 years you get squat. So here's the rule to remember. If you remember nothing else from this conversation, there must be at least a decade between I do and I don't. If your <laughs> marriage is falling apart in years eight and nine, string out the paperwork because the only dates that marry are the date you're married and the day of your final divorce decree. So the spousal benefit, if you're divorced, and let's just, let's flip the example here because we always use husband, older wife. Let's just say the husband is now wanting to claim on the wife. They were married for 10 years in a day. She's, she has social security of 2,500 a month. She hasn't even started it yet. And he'd like to go ahead and start claiming his benefit. Can he do that? Well, again, we got to back up a little bit because of these rule changes Congress did a few years ago. It used to be you could, once you got to full retirement age, you could say either based on your currently married spouse or your ex-spouse, if you had been married at least 10 years before divorce, divorcing, it used to be when you got to your full retirement age, you could say, don't pay me my social security benefit. Let it keep growing by 8% a year up until age 70. In the meantime, pay me only as a spouse. Give me 50% of my husband's benefits. Give me 50% of my wife's benefit. Well, now the only people who can do that are people born before 1954. 54, yeah. That's, and yeah. for a currently married couple, the one spouse actually has to claim Social Security to trigger these spousal benefits for the other one. In a divorce spouse situation, it's different because... You can imagine if you had a really That's nasty not a conversation divorce. with your ex. Hey, right. I really yeah. need the money. Can really you please start social? Well, now that you asked, I think I'll wait. Yeah. Right. In, in other words, Congress thought um, if you have a nasty divorce and one ex says to the other, I am never going to retire and you are never going to get a dime mm -hmm. of my Social Security, Congress thought that might be a problem. So they added another exception that in addition to being married at least 10 years, divorced and currently single, if you have been divorced at least two years and you are both at least 62 years old, you can collect on your ex even if your ex has not yet claimed. You are an independently entitled spouse. Mm -hmm. But now they've layered these other new rules on it. Keep them going. These are great. You can only claim as a spouse only if you're born before 1954. Okay. So, so here, here's an example. You've got um, 
two ex-spouses. They're both 68 years old. He hasn't claimed yet. Neither is she. Because, because she's 68 this year, she's born before that 1954 cutoff. She could go ahead and say to Social Security, I oh, want no. to collect spousal benefits only on my ex while my own benefits to keep growing till 70. He doesn't even need to know about it. And it mm -hmm. does not affect his benefits. It does not take away from his benefits. If he remarried, it doesn't take away from his new wife. She is the ex-wife is an independently entitled spouse. All right. I'm going to layer this on one more time. <laughs> Two ex-spouses. You've both married both of them for 10 years. Can you choose the higher payment on one of the two, or is it the most recent one only? Highest of the two. And let me give you an example. I always use this example of how crazy these rules are. And you said, how did it get to be so complicated? As these changes, they keep getting layered on top of each other. So we have a couple, John and Mary. They are married 10 years. They get divorced. Mary remains single. Then John marries his secretary, Susie. They're married for 10 years. They get divorced. Susie remains single. John doesn't like to be alone, goes to the local pub, and he meets Tiffany. Tiffany's 30 years old. They fall madly in love and get married. Now they have a little boy, Johnny. Johnny's two years old, and Big John drops dead. Who gets benefits? Wow. Okay. How old is little Johnny? Two. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Tiffany? Everybody all gets benefits. Three. All Mary, four. All four. So Mary is married at least 10 years, divorced and currently single. She gets 100% of John's survivor benefit. Even if he hadn't been taking social? Yep. Got yep. it. Oh, his now, right, his debt, his... Assuming she's old enough, you know, she, you have to be at least um, 62 to get a retirement benefit and 60 to get a survivor benefit. But so, even if John weren't taking his social, it's whatever it would have been at the uh, upon his death. Correct. Upon his death. Correct. Okay. So it would be Mary and- Gets 100%. Susie gets 100% because she was married at least 10 years, divorced and currently single. Little Johnny, as a minor dependent surviving child, gets 75% every month until he turns 18. 18, yeah. And his 32-year-old mother also gets 75% every month until Johnny turns 16. So, so, so if you worry about the long-term financing of Social Security, less to do with trust funds, more to do with divorce. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So Mary, Susie, Tiffany, and Johnny, little Johnny, all. Uh, That's a scenario where Social Security kind of loses out. Right. You call it the Johnny Carson rule. Johnny Carson rule. I like that. Now, if the negation of that is if, let's say, Susie, wife number two, had gotten remarried, if she's married, she can't claim on Johnny. She can't collect on a living ex. But here's another exception. If you wait till 60 or older to remarry, you can collect on a dead ex. But obviously not on both. No, only the higher of the two. A higher of the two. So wow. here's another quick thing to remember. A spousal benefit while your spouse or ex is alive is worth up to 50%. A survivor benefit when they die is 100%. So your ex is worth twice as much dead than alive. But you probably knew that anyway, right? <laughs> oh, my. I feel like we're, we're, this has become an episode of deal or no deal. Social Security, <laughs> deal or no deal with Mary Beth Franklin. 
the I knew we'd if we'd figure out a way to make this fascinating because it is. It's once you start applying it to the real world, social security goes from so confusing, I don't want to deal with it to oh wow, that's pretty interesting. It's a little soap opera, which is yeah. interesting. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So let's go back to real world. Here's a pretty common scenario that people want to know is that getting Social Security and working, what are the provisions on you not getting penalized, but also being able to work at the same time? And which scenario doesn't make sense? If you're working at 63 and you're making 200000 a year, is it silly to be getting social because it all gets canceled out? Let's talk about that. It's basically through. impossible. Yeah. The, <laughs> the idea is Social Security was designed to replace income you lost when you stopped working. Mm -hmm. So in theory, you could start collecting as early as age 62. It's reduced because you're collecting it early. But there's an earnings restriction, which is about $19,000 this year. If you earn more than that, Social Security is going to withhold a dollar in benefits for every two you earn over that limit. So basically multiply by three. Uh, it means if you make about $58,000 a year, you're going to lose all your benefits mm -hmm. temporarily. The way it works is once you get to your full retirement age, Social Security is going to review uh, your earnings record and say, OK, Mr. Johnson, we see you claimed your benefit at 62 and we cut them by 25 percent. But I also see that over the past four years, you've been working and you forfeited um, 24 months worth of benefits over that time, two years worth of benefits. So now that you have reached full retirement age, we're going to pretend as if you claimed at 64 instead of 62. We're going to add back those 24 months of benefits you gave up. Hmm. So going forward, you're going to get a larger monthly benefits. So if you claim early and you lose benefits due to excess earnings, you will eventually get them back once you reach full retirement age in the form of higher monthly benefits. But it's an accounting nightmare. For example, um, you're 62, you decide to claim early, Social Security is going to ask you, so do you plan to keep working? And a lot of people say, Gee, no, I, I just won't tell them I'm working. Well, they talk to the IRS. It may take two or three years. But then you'll get a letter in the mail saying, hey, Mr. Johnson, looks like we overpaid you by $33,000. We'd like that back right now in a lump sum. Oh, really? I've never, I, you know what? That's a good, so you, Social Security can come back. Oh, yeah. You, if they paid you more benefits than you are entitled to because of your earnings, you need to give that money back. And so, yeah, you, you don't want to mess you with don't Social Security and the rules. No, no. So my number one rule is if you plan to keep working, don't collect benefits before full retirement age. It's not simple. worth it. That's but it, say you retire at 62 and you're working part-time and make $15,000 a year. Yeah, sure. sure. Go ahead if you want. You're under the earnings cap. 
Speaking of, where do you go to try to get some nuanced advice for this? Would you ever recommend anybody actually go to the Social Security office and ask them a question? First of all, COVID-19. Those offices have been closed since March 2020. There is no face-to-face public meeting with Social Security reps on for the foreseeable future. The only way you can contact them is uh, either online to apply for benefits or by phone. Um, I The Social Security Administration job is not to tell you when to claim your benefits. That's your decision and you should be consulting with your financial advisor, your accountant, do some online calculations, read AARP, read me, read my book, whatever. The Social Security's job is to process your application. And the way most of, there's more than 60,000 Social Security reps, hardworking people, incredibly overworked during all this. And many of them have been there for 30 years or more and tend to think in a very old school way of grab it as soon as you can. Mm -hmm. And And when asked, they will often tell you to grab it as soon as you can. Things have changed over the past decade, mainly because of this 8% per year delayed retirement credit. Did it not used to be that? Let me tell you a story. When did that come into effect? It feels like it's been that way for a long time. It's not, though. In 1983, when I was a very young reporter for United Press International covering the Social Security reform, Um, It was headed by a guy that we all know his name now, uh, Alan Greenspan. But this was long before he was chairman of the Federal Reserve Board. He chaired the Bipartisan Commission on Social Security Reform. And they did a lot of smart things back then. And one of the questions they raised was, you know, Americans are living so much longer, but everybody is collecting benefits at 62. What can we do to get people to delay collecting their benefits when they're worth more? Well, the problem was back in 1983, those delayed retirement credits that I've been talking about, they were not 8% a year. They were 3% a year. It wasn't a huge, huge incentive to wait. And the problem was, in 1983, interest rates were 18%. Why, in your right mind, would you delay claiming for 3% when you could stick your money in the bank and get 18%? Come on, Greenspan. Greenspan should have known better than that. That, that wasn't well, that Well, that was the law he inherited. He was the one who raised the question, what can we do to incentivize people to delay. So this 18-member bipartisan commission came up with a great idea. Okay, let's increase the delayed retirement credits. Let's gradually increase them by five half a percent each year until we get to a certain point. And we'll cap it off at 8%. Yeah, 8%. It sounded, you know, that was minuscule in 1983. The 8% a year took full effect for people who were born in 1943 or later, when they reached their full retirement age of 66. 1943 plus 66, 2009. So it's only been since 09 that you get the full 8%. And what happened in 2009? At the The, time, it was the worst stock market crash since the Great Depression. And suddenly, the government was going to pay you 8% a year to wait. That's why this discussion of delayed retirement credits has become such a big deal over the last few decades. 
It wasn't always like this. The other thing, the idea of coordinating spousal claiming strategies, that was not an option before the year 2000. The Citizens' Right to Work Act changed the rules about filing and suspending benefits and claiming spousal benefits only. So these strategies were not in um, the public consciousness because they weren't always there. These were some of these laws that have been changed along the way. Let's go into the thought around Medicare costs and how they relate to Social Security. And I guess really how, how that also relates back to your AGI. Let's talk about that relationship. Okay. Um, they're the ABCs of Medicare since your audience is younger and they probably don't have a clue. Generally, when you turn 65, you are eligible to enroll in Medicare. A lot of people mistakenly think it's free. Furthest thing from the truth. Part A is covers hospitalization. That monthly premium is quote free because you have paid for it your whole life through your FICA taxes. Part B, which we think of as health insurance, doctor's fees, outpatient services, that has a monthly premium. Most retirees are paying $148.50 a month for Part B in 2021. But depending on your income, you might be paying $500 a month for that exact same service. And that's per person. So if both spouses are over 65, that's a thousand bucks a month just for Medicare Part B. Plus your Medicare Part D drugs costs are also um, income tested. And then you still need a Medigap policy. So high-end people could be spending $15,000 a year in just Medicare and Medigap premiums before they see a doctor or fill a prescription. Because Part C and or D or a Medicare supplement plan will be the the piece of the equation that pays the other 20% that Medicare doesn't pay, correct? That's what the Medigap policy, they fills the gap. Now, this is what we call original Medicare, A plus B, a Medigap policy and a drug policy D. Other people, and you hear this advertised all the time about Medicare Advantage plans. Mm -hmm. They're also known as Medicare C. Think of it as the, the HMO of Medicare. It's all inclusive. They throw in extras that regular Medicare doesn't, like maybe hearing aids or vision tests or gym membership or extras like that. But the flip side, and it tends to be much cheaper. You pay your basic Medicare premium, but maybe no additional premiums but you have to use their network of healthcare providers. So that's it, the difference with Medicare Advantage. You may not get to choose your doctor. Right. And it may be just for your geographic area. So if you're a snowbird, you probably don't want to do that because it might work in Minnesota, but not in not Arizona. In Florida. Let's go into, we talked about this just briefly, but there is the worry that Social Security is this big pool of money and it's paying you. And yes, we've got some money coming in every two weeks from people's paychecks, but then it's also going out every month in the form of payments. And the, the sink, if you will, that was full at one point is now draining and it's getting very close to empty. Even though the faucet might be running still, people don't like the visual of, hey, the sink's empty. Right, that and overflow that means, bucket is empty. <laughs> yeah, and realistically... How much of a haircut will people should people count on, worry about, and or do you think it get, gets fixed? I definitely think it gets fixed. Again, because Social Security is the most popular 
and a successful federal program in history, and old people tend to vote in higher percentages than younger people. Uh, but when you look at right now, there are 64 million people receiving Social Security benefits, and a large percentage of them, that is the largest source of their retirement income, and in some cases, the only source of their retirement income. What are the statistics around that? I I, I hear often that it's like two-thirds of people that, or half of everyone in America that's getting social that really is their only income. Is that, do you believe that? Is that No, I would it's... say the, uh, the two-thirds, it probably represents more than half mm -hmm. of their retirement income. And I say it's a smaller percentage and the statistics are out there. I just don't remember, but I'd say it's less than a third where it's their only source of income. What happens is you find as people get older, something like 90% of the people 85 and older, Social Security is their only source of income because they've run through all of their other oh, money. Oh, wow. Okay. But yeah. Social Security is the one source that you can't outlive. And that's why it becomes such an important issue of don't you want to get the biggest benefit you're going to get for the rest of your life? I think that's probably the right way to think about it is that it's not the only source if you're 65 for many people, but it's the only source for a lot of people in their mid 80s who outlive the rest of their cushion. Think of it this way. Social Security is not so you can buy a boat at 62. It's so you're not eating cat food at 82. Yeah. Okay. I like that. I'm going to make that as the headline of our show. Social Security <laughs> is not to buy a boat at 62 to make sure you don't eat cat food when you're 82. Right. Last question or two here. What are some steps that anybody at any age we can take to, let's call it prepare or, and or maximize our Social Security? First thing everybody should do is create their own social security account at ssa.gov. That stands for social security administration.government. That will give you access 24 seven to your personalized estimated benefit statement that we all used to get in the mail until a few years ago. They That's right. That went away. That's right? gone. Or expensive. is it every five years you get it in the mail or is it no, totally online now? It's pretty much totally gone unless you're 60 or older, have not collected benefits and have not signed up for an online account. But it's a critical financial planning document because it shows you your annual earnings for your entire career. And more importantly, how much taxes you have paid for both Social Security and Medicare throughout your entire career. And while it's your employer's responsibility to report your earnings to the IRS and consequently to Social Security each year, it's your responsibility to check it at least once a year to make sure it's right. Because let's make say that two years ago, you know you made $60,000 and there's a zero on your earnings report. The way your earnings are reported and the FICA taxes that you pay are going to affect your future benefits. Don't you want to make sure that your earnings are correct to get those benefits? The other thing is um, identity theft. There's yeah. only one online account per social security number. Don't you want to make sure you're the one who set it up for your own social security number? SS.gov, set up an account, make sure that there's no income reporting missing mm -hmm. and make sure it's you that's getting reported. Mm -hmm. And for some of our younger listeners on the Retire Sooner podcast, 
is it still 40 quarters to qualify? And do we take, is the math still, they take your top 35 years in average? Is that to just give us a quick general calculation, how they Correct. arrive at that number? The, the first way to become eligible for social security benefits is you have to have at least 40 credits and you can earn four credits a year. So essentially you have to work at least 10 years to be eligible for social security. The actual amount you receive is based on what they call your lifetime earnings. They take the top 35 years of indexed earnings over your years. So if you've made, I don't know, you made $20,000 in 1978, when they index it, it might be $60,000 now. But they take your lifetime earnings, they add up those top 35 years, they divide it by 35, they divide that by 12 to come out with your average um, index monthly earnings, and then they apply a formula to that. That's what your benefit would be if you claimed at your, at your full retirement age. But then you can choose to claim earlier, as early as 62, but you're going to get less money because you're collecting four years early. And here's an example. If you live to average life expectancy, it doesn't matter if you collect smaller benefits early or full benefits at your full retirement age, it's all gonna work out roughly the same over your lifetime. But the longer you live, the better off you would have been to delay benefits. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, so it's a longevity yeah. insurance policy to exactly. some extent. Again, yeah. not eating cat food at 82 is what it comes down. And, and to look at your audience, your younger audience, again, I tend to talk to people who are in or near retirement. And I'm dealing with people who generally have 66 as a full retirement age. And I talked about these strategies of one spouse delaying till 70. It makes perfect sense for them because again, interest rates have been virtually zero for a decade and they're gonna get 8% a year to delay. Now, if someone who's born in 1960 or later, whose full retirement age is 67 says to me, well, should I wait till 70? And I'll say, I have no idea. It all depends on what interest rates are like at the time. At if the time. by the time you get to 67, interest rates are like 5%, probably not worth delaying. You might want to take the money and bank it. Yeah. But for right now, in a zero interest rate environment, it's a smoking hot deal. What about not working a full 35 years? If somebody works 25 and they don't get the full 35, how big of a penalty is that? That's is a great missing question. Missing 10 years. Because, well, let's say you work 20 years, Social Security is always going to divide by 35. So you've got 15 years of zeros. And mm -hmm. that means your average lifetime earnings and consequently your Social Security benefit is going to be smaller. But Social Security is a very progressive program in the sense that lifetime low earners get a higher replacement rate. They are probably going to get about 40% of their pre-retirement earnings, as opposed to you and I, we might only get maybe 25%. Our dollar amounts are gonna be higher because our income, our lifetime income was higher, but it's going to represent a smaller percentage of our working year income compared to lower income people. So really working poor, social security is gonna replace a chunk of their earnings. And for a lot of those people, that's all they're gonna have. It was never designed to be the sole source of retirement, but for many people it is. 
So again, Social Security, though, not going to run out completely. You think for your constituency, let's say someone in their 60s at age 85, you can say to them with comfort, look, you might be getting 2000 a month in social today. Worst case scenario, uh, well, what, you, what you've said is Congress will fix it. But if, but if they don't and they allow the train to go right through the brick wall, even then, the math is that you would still end up getting around 80% of what you are currently getting. Well, first of all, um, Congress very seldom does things retroactively. Mm -hmm. So I think people who are receiving benefits should be fairly confident that those benefits are going to continue, even though in theory, if these trust funds ran dry and there was only enough FICA revenue to pay 80% of promised benefits, technically Social Security can't pay any more than that. But Congress could say, all right, we're going to borrow money from the general fund until we fix it. That's a dangerous road because Social Security has always been self-financing. Money coming in from payroll taxes is what pays benefits. But I think if push came to shove and they're looking at 64 million people taking a 20% cut of benefits, I don't think Congress is going to do that. I think they're going to say, we're going to fill in the gaps until we figure this out. Yeah. If you put it in that context, you think of 64 million people that, and getting that's a today. pay cut. Yeah. yeah. Getting yeah. a pay cut. Whoever's in office is no longer in office. Right. 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 Particularly now, in a for, world where politicians seem to love to just pay, 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 pay. Now for your younger audience, and, and this is, I wish I had the URL to give you, but there's, there are all these um, software companies that help with social security claiming decisions. And one of them is called Covisum, C-O-V-I-S-U-M. If you go to covisum.com, they have a free social security calculator that tells you what would happen if your benefits were cut by 25, 20% to show you what the impact would be and basically what that would do to your lifetime social security income. And the bottom line in most cases is, yeah, this would hurt, but you're still going to be better off waiting because if you claimed your benefits early at 62 and you get a 25% cut, you're going to have a heck of a lot less money than if you claimed it at 67 or 70 and took a 25% cut. Covisum. 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 Interesting. Okay. We'll, we'll do a link. And it, to that. it's designed for consumers to use. It's a free thing. And again, the bottom line is, yeah, it's unlikely. And yes, it would hurt. But it, it, I tell people that claiming benefits at 62 because they're afraid the system's going to run out of money is like cashing out of your stock part portfolio in a down market. The only thing you've guaranteed is you've locked in a loss. Mm. If, if you need the money, go ahead and take go ahead. it. But don't take it because you're afraid it's going to run out. Ooh, I'm going to leave it there. I love that. Don't take it just because you think it's going to run out. That's not the strategy. It's if you need it, take it. Right. Don't take it just because you think it's going to run out because that's probably not going to happen for somebody getting benefits. Mary Beth Franca, thank you for all of your insight and your knowledge. And I, pro I, you may think I was trying to stump you. Those are just all questions that I get thrown at me all the time. So I was just going with that. But oh, you, no you, you know this better than anybody. And this is all in my ebook, which anybody can get at uh, MaximizingSocialSecurityBenefits.com. Your, your website is MaximizingSocialSecurityBenefits.com. Thanks for listening. 
Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.